1: Welcome to today's episode of the High Energy Health Podcast. And congratulations on choosing to spend the next hour with us developing your wellness and remembering your wholeness. My name is Amanda Wonderland. I am a clinical EFT and energy psychology practitioner and also a mentor at EFT Universe. And it is my great honor to be guest hosting this podcast for Dr. Dawson Church. And joining me today is Carla McLaren, author of the popular revised and updated book, The Language of Emotions, What Your Feelings Are Trying to Tell You. It just released a few days ago and it is receiving so much buzz. So I cannot wait to dig into this conversation with you. Welcome, Carla. So happy to have you. Thank you so much, Amanda. Yes. So for those of you that are not familiar with Carla, let me introduce you. Carla is an award-winning author, social science researcher, and empathy expert. Her lifelong work focuses on her grand unified theory of emotions, which revalues even the most negative emotions and opens startling new pathways into self-awareness, effective communication, and healthy empathy. She is the founder CEO of Emotion Dynamics Incorporated and the developer of the Empathy Academy online learning site. Her applied work, Dynamic Emotional Integration, is a trailblazing approach to emotions and empathy that reveals the genius and healing power within the emotional realm. She is the author of Embracing Anxiety, How to Access the Genius of This Vital Emotion, The Art of Empathy, A Complete Guide to Life's Most Essential Skill, and many more, including the aforementioned The Language of Emotions, What Your Feelings Are Trying to Tell You. So I am so excited to have you here, Kyla. I have to tell you that your work is right up my alley as an emotional freedom techniques uh, practitioner. But on a more personal level, I would consider myself basically with the emotional maturity of a toddler until I reached <laughs> about forty. It's been very recent that I have been reparenting myself and really learning about healthy emotional responsibility, regulation, and resilience. So I've only just begun digging into your website and your work, but it's already been so eye opening and so insightful on my journey toward emotional maturity. So I love how you put it that we're cultivating a new and empowering relationship with all of your emotions. So I'm eternally grateful and ecstatic to be talking to you today. So let's begin by talking about the new book. What can you tell me are the main differences between the original version, which was published in 2010? Is that Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and the new one. What are the main differences?
0: Well, I would say that the heart of the book is still the same, which is that the emotions are a whole world of intelligences and energies and influences that help you basically function they help you make meaning they help you understand the world and when there's trouble they come to support you the very in very specific ways the things that changed are one we have a chapter on anxiety now because like a lot of people i did not understand anxiety back in 2009 when i wrote this i thought it was a problem In the fear family. And I wrote a whole book as an apology to anxiety, because yeah, it deserved it. So I wrote Embracing Anxiety. And then I thought, I need to update the language. Please let me update the language of emotions. It's just... No, it has to have anxiety in it. I also wrote about loneliness because a lot of people think it's an emotion, but it's not. It certainly emotions come to support you when you're experiencing loneliness, right? But it's a drive or a situation. So I'm alone, right? But I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I'm alone, I'm not lonely at all. Like I'm happy. Right. (laughs) Everyone's gone. (laughs) This is great. But for some people, being alone is very, very painful. And for some people being in the middle of people, they don't feel lonely, but other people in the middle of people feel lonely. Do you know? So there's so yeah. much going on there in the experience of loneliness and so many different emotions that can happen. But a lot of people think, you know, and they've argued with me, loneliness is an emotion because I feel it. And what well, you feel, it's cold outside. That's not an emotion. Okay. <laughs> so, so putting loneliness in there in context and talking about sort of the research on loneliness and the different types of loneliness. For instance, to be a writer, to be a philosopher, to be an artist, you need to be in a period of loneliness, not just the loneliness, but loneliness so that you can do something new and different. Yeah. Many people like mystics talk about a great loneliness for God or the gods, right? It's not a negative state, right? It's a human state. And so talking about it was really nice and researching. It was really nice to be able to bring it in and say,
1: no, you're
0: not an emotion, but I understand. I understand the confusion.
1: Yeah. It's good that you've had the opportunity to address it as well and to make it up to anxiety by including (laughs) in the (laughs) new, I just love how you personify emotions. It reminds me so much of the Pixar film Inside Out. Yeah. Did you ever see that? Where no. they had little characters that represented fear and yeah. anger. And so when I hear you describe emotions, because I'm a visual person, I see these little cartoon characters. And I love yeah. how you, you know, give the emotions their own emotions in a way, like their own gifts and their own contributions. It's beautiful.
0: Yeah. And I think it's helpful to be friends because, you know, you were talking about not having an emotional you know, skill set until you were 40 or realizing that you didn't, you're not alone. (laughs) Who of us was taught what emotions are and how they work and why they're there. Most people are taught about emotions. Don't talk back to me, young lady, you know, or stop crying, stop crying. Don't be a cry. Right. We're taught how to repress our emotions or pretend we don't have them, but we're not taught what they're for. We're not, this is not out there. So if you realized it, you're a, a hundred steps ahead of those people who didn't, yeah. you know, who just sort of don't know what they don't
1: right. know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so grateful for that discovery. You know, wish it would have happened a little bit earlier, but that's yeah. okay. I'm learning, about, I'm learning <laughs> about it now. But speaking of repression, I'm just wondering if you have any information or research about what can happen to us as humans when we repress over and over again, if it's a lifelong kind of pandemic of humanity repressing emotions, how does Mm -hmm. that manifest individually and globally?
0: I think because emotions are aspects of our intelligence and our, cogn- our they're aspects of our basic cognition, of our consciousness, if we repress them, then we lose access to that specific form of intelligence. For instance, if we repress anger, which is about setting boundaries, we may never learn how to set appropriate boundaries, right? Because the emotion that helps us do that is not welcome. For many people, they repress sadness, right? What's the first thing people do when they cry in public? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm like sorry it's a human emotion my friend right cry everybody everybody cry right now but um (laughs) if we repress our sadness Mm. and the work of sadness is to help you let go of things that aren't working anyway right sadness doesn't come to steal your stuff it comes to help you when things need to be let go of. if you're repressing it and pushing the tears back Mm. you may become clogged with all manner of things that don't belong to you and don't they're not helping you anymore you know, yeah. so so yeah. when we repress emotions, we actually become less functional, less intelligent, less emotion certainly less emotionally aware. Right. So depression sort of reduces all functional IQ <laughs> in terms yes. of how you live in this world. Right. Your emotions yes. come to help you and you just slap them away. Mm-hmm. Your emotions think, hmm, let me come back louder yes. and see how that goes. Right. So right. it's like your alarm clock goes off and you throw it out the window. No, it's yeah. still 7 a.m., right? Yeah. You still need to get up. So what's going to happen yeah. next?
1: Yeah. yeah. Agreed. And they also can become like inner blockages in your body. So in my case, I had two and a half years of chronic lower back pain, just mm-hmm. constant. I tried so many physiological interventions to get at it. And then finally, I found tapping and I was able to realize I was holding grief in my lower back. And when mm. I was able to acknowledge it, accept it, process it, resolve it, alchemize it, my lower back pain disappeared. And so mm. I know that that's been very much a case in my family, who you know emotions were not okay at all, any of them, unless you were a man and it was anger. Then it was, okay, it was there. You go totally okay. <laughs> but everybody has chronic pain, chronic mm. illness, and I just wonder what a healthy friendship with their emotions would do to help alleviate some of these physiological side effects of mm. repression. You know.
0: Yeah. And that is so individual. Some people yeah. who repress emotions don't have any physical yeah. issues at all. They have re- relationship issues. And some people who are very good with their emotions do have chronic pain. So it's there's not like a one-to-one correlation. It's, it's how you and your body you know, right? make the idea happen, right? I think for a lot of people, the repression of emotions can just sort of dam them up, you know, like it's a Mm. dam. I think of emotions as the water element, they flow, they, and if you're not allowing Mm. that, there's a lot of sort of nourishment that you're not getting. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Agreed.
1: Well, it sounds like you've had quite a journey in the last 13 years since you published (laughs) the original edition, learning so much and integrating that into your work. And I'm actually curious about your journey prior to all of this. What initially led you to study emotions and empathy and to dedicate your life to this work? Tell us a bit more about your background and your journey.
0: (laughs) It was like a life-saving idea. I had experienced childhood sexual assault when I was like a toddler. And luckily it wasn't in my family, but it still was there. And so this was between the ages of two and three. And that's when you're sort of developing language. You're developing your idea of who you are in the world and how, right? There's a lot of development of self that happens there. And so my development of self was kind of squirrely backward, right? It wasn't good. You're also developing your gender ideas right you're developing who am I as as whatever gender I am and so there was a lot of really bad programming
1: (laughs) that I picked up
0: right for me this doesn't happen to a lot of people but for me I turned up my sensitivity and my empathy and my emotional and every other kind of sensitivity so I could keep an eye on my molester and see what was going to happen that day Mm -hmm. right maybe protect the younger kids, maybe make decisions, right? It was horrible decisions being made in the midst of war, sort of. But I was making them because I didn't know that I turned my empathy up. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to turn it down. And so I ended up being... Kind of a boundaryless. I called myself a crazy radio because I would pick up all of the everything. Right. In an unsafe environment, that can be really a good idea, right? Yeah. That can be really good to be completely aware of your situation, but it was mostly painful. Yeah. So for me, you know, emotions came at me like Mack trucks and oceans and things like that. For me, it was turning toward the emotions to save my life because I thought, if I don't understand these things, I'm going down, I'm going under. And like a lot of people who uh, experienced early childhood sexual assault, as puberty came up, a lot of those memories came up, right? As you're kind of your sexual awakening or whatever. And there's all this weird stuff in there. And that's when I had my first suicidal ideation. So I was 10. And so I kind of grew up with the suicidal urge as well, not Mm. knowing what it was for what it was doing there. I thought it was mostly just toxic. There was no good, there is no good things about suicide, the Mm. suicidal urge. So it was sort of a lifetime of going through being a very, very um, hyper empathic person with no boundaries. Mm. And an extremely high emotion person, because I could pick up emotions from anywhere, right? It was exhausting to be me. <laughs> it was yes. exhausting to be around me. It was the whole thing. So for me, it was like healing myself, figuring out what I needed to do, how to set boundaries, how to ground myself, how to, how to remove some of that programming, how to understand emotions. So that's where it came from. It came from a pretty sad beginning, I think it would have to have been someone who had been through something like that, right? I yes. don't think you can come at that from "Tralala Little Bunny Land." Tralala, right. <laughs> I'm gonna understand happiness. Okay, the <laughs> end. I'm done. <laughs> I think you would <laughs> have to have someone who's actually felt all the emotions,
1: right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that would have been a short book. Tralala. <laughs> I mean there's there's only one good (laughs) (laughs) No, you you have to have the dark to have the light and that's definitely what I'm learning and I love how you differentiate empathy with enmeshment. And that's kind of right where I'm at on my journey. I had a very similar childhood as you, including some loss. My immediate family was all, they all passed away at a really young age. And so mm-hmm. I closed up my heart and I thought that that was the reason why. But in the last few years, I've been making a real conscious effort to open my heart back up. Like that's where I'm at in my spiritual journey. But as I've done that, I feel everything. I love Love how you said it's a Mack truck. I can feel everybody that I'm around. I'm like, oh no, I'm an empath. Oh no, no wonder I closed my heart. But now I'm realizing that's enmeshment. I am not having healthy, energetic, or emotional boundaries. Yeah. So, what can you tell us about the difference between empathy and enmeshment, and how to protect yourself while still keeping your heart open to humanity and other people? Yeah, I would think it is to become very specific and
0: self-aware. And a lot of people who are hyper empathic are not self-aware. They're kind of (laughs) self-overwhelmed and they're aware of everything else, but they literally don't know which emotions belong to them. Right. They just they lose. They throw themselves away behind the other the emotions of other people. So the first Mm -hmm. thing is self-awareness, learning how to set boundaries learning how to ground yourself and learning the language of your emotions, because for hyper empathic people, those are tools. Emotions are tools. And a lot of people come to me and they say their complaint is I feel the emotions of others. I'm like, so right. Emotions are great. Why is that a problem? And the problem is always that people don't have practices for the emotions that they're feeling. Right. We feel happiness with others. We don't we don't complain about that. We laugh with others. Right. Right. It's when the anxiety and the panic and the anger and the rage and the hatred. Right. When depression comes and we have no idea how to work with those. None. Yeah. So yeah. we treat other people as kind of like you are a bacterial infection when in fact it's our own lack of emotional practices. That's the problem. You know, now. I, I work doing street outreach for the unsheltered people in our neighborhood, in our county. That's a whole emotional world out there, right? Yeah,
1: but exactly.
0: when there's depression, I go into it with them. When there's anger, I'm like, yeah, you know, and I'm swearing. And like, I'm, I know how to work. Those I know how to be with those emotions. So I don't come home going, oh my gosh, I'm an empath. Like, <laughs> so everybody's an empath. Uh, it's, it's, like you have
1: no skills. That's when the problems occur. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I definitely want to talk more about <laughs> practices for working with emotions and the skills. And I know that you have some in this book. I know that you have some experiential exercises that'll help you discover how to work with them. So, I would love to discuss some of that a little bit more. I know that we are about to go to a break. So I just wanted to maybe if you could give us just one quick exercise for working with anger. Just a quick way in the next few moments before we go to a break.
0: Well, anger is about boundaries. So we have a boundary setting exercise where you actually imagine boundaries around yourself. And what we're doing is we're leaning into the psychological sense of boundaries. There's also something that your brain does, which is it maps your territory so that you don't walk into walls. It's called your proprioceptive sense,
1: right? It's the Mm -hmm.
0: same size as what psychologists see as uh, personal space. So we just connect to that proprioceptive space and then start getting a sense that, oh, this is my body. This is the distance from my body to the edge of my boundary. There is another person over there. They're in their own boundary. It teaches us better hygiene. It teaches us better, yeah. you know, a, a more polite way to be in the world. And it's yeah. a hard habit to
1: break if you use empathy right. for safety, right? Right. It's a whole practice. Yeah. yeah. yeah, That's great. Well, we will definitely talk more about other practices for working with different emotions, but we're going to take a quick break. You are listening to High Energy Health. We are speaking with Carla McLaren, and you can find more about her work at carlamclaren.com. K-A-R-L-A-M-C-L-A-R-E-N. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the High Energy Health Podcast. We are in conversation with Carla McLaren, author of The Language of Emotions, What Your Feelings Are Trying to Tell You. And you can learn more about Carla at her website, which is carlamclaren.com, K-A-R-L-A-M-C-L-A-R-E-N. And before the break, we were talking about practices for working with your emotions. Mm -hmm. So we got a little bit of information on how to set boundaries and how anger is there to alert us like an alarm clock that it's time for us to set some healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so let's talk about some other emotions and practices that you include in the book for working with them. What about shame? What can you tell us about poor little shame? Poor shame.
0: shame. Shame is so hated and people confuse it with guilt. And I'm just like, okay, let's just talk about my friend shame. Shame's job in the psyche is to help us live up to the ethics and morals we've agreed to. If our ethics and morals are livable, our shame's fine, right? We wouldn't even have an experience of what other people call shame. So if one of my ethics and morals is, I want to floss every night and I do nothing, right? It's fine. Right. But let's say it's getting to 10, 10.30, 11. Maybe I'm watching a Korean show, right? <laughs> my shame would say, excuse me, are you going to go to bed without flossing? <laughs> I'm like, dang it. Okay, I'm going to floss, right? So it's going to have that kind of gentle thing because this isn't a, an unlivable thing. But what if my moral and ethical agreement is no one will love you until you're perfect? Mm. If that's what I've agreed to, lord knows we all agree to something as bad as that right somewhere right. along and some poor soul comes to love us our shame is going to go on a bender it's going to go banana crackers because we're <laughs> not perfect yet we're right. not perfect so shame is going to be like you are not good enough you do not deserve to be loved right so a lot of people make the mistake of thinking shame is bad it's helping me goat floss right right agreements that we make, that shame then helps us uphold. So understanding shame is really crucial. You know, everyone talks about, you know, you shouldn't feel ashamed of anything, but we have a word in English that tells us exactly what happens if we don't have shame, and it's shameless. Shameless is not Mm -hmm. a positive state, right? We know that a shameless person does not uphold morals and ethics. We cannot trust them, right? And they're just going to go off and do something bizarre that you can't even be, you know, like a shameless person is like, get out, put down my money, get out of my house, you shameless person. Right. So we know that we need shame, but people are very much confused the agreements with the emotion. So if you have a nasty, horrible agreement like that, it needs to be killed with fire so that your shame can get to work on things that are lovely, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the practice with, with nasty, horrible, unlivable shaming messages is called burning contracts. And you actually can write down a contract. This is how it is. I will never be loved. I'm blah, 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 blah. And you actually put it up you throw it away or you burn it. Your emotions understand whatever languages you speak, but what they understand the most strongly is the imaginal, is intention, is the words beneath the words, the meaning behind the meaning, right? So a lot of the practices I have work in the way emotions work, which is through imagery. So all of my Mm -hmm. emotions are watching me do this silly little thing and write on a piece of paper. They're all watching because shame is Mm -hmm. watching. The next time someone comes to love me and I have this gruesome message, something's going to go, what? Hold on. Something in me is going to be awake now because right i've burnt that kind. Con- it might take me a while it might okay now i'm gonna write this part of it i have to be perfect because grandma said you know like and then you become more and right. more aware of what is this awful thing that i'm having my shame uphold it's terrible so i think that's really a lot of people look at shame as the problem and it's just the emotion that does the job it's right it's a job we gave it right right a job we picked up or you pick it up on on Instagram. I call Instagram shame and envy town, right? Because, yeah. about, <laughs> you know, these, these perfect pictures that cannot be lived, you know, right. And you're going through like, wow, this is a toxic, toxic place to be. <laughs> It is, And I'm like, shame. don't even pay attention to any of this nonsense. It's <laughs> no good. La, 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 la. <laughs> Shame's like, yeah. Did you floss? I'm like, yes, I flossed.
1: <laughs> I love it. That, that's an agreement we'll uphold. We'll yes, keep that that's agreement. An agreement. The other ones can just die in the fire. <laughs> oh, Kill it with fire. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love it. Well, it sounds like there's an element of consistency in here, as you were saying, with the anger and setting boundaries, like it takes practice. And it sounds like there might also be an element of uh, separation, of being able to be the watcher of Mm -hmm. your emotions instead of being completely identified with them so that you're able to step back, bird's eye view, oh, this is shame. Oh, this is anger. So what do you do if you don't quite have that perspective just yet and you are 100% identified and not able to like when you're angry, you see red and you see nothing else and it's 100% (laughs) valid and and there's just no, no call to action. It's just, you know, rage. It's rage. Yeah.
0: I think the most important thing is putting little cognitive pauses in because a lot of times it goes emotion, action, boom. Right. We don't even think we don't even know what emotion it is. One of the most wonderful things that they've discovered in research is that just developing a stronger emotional vocabulary gives you emotion regulation skills all by itself. So how does that happen? (laughs) Because the next time you're angry, you can look at your emotional vocabulary list and I have a free one on my site, but you can be like, am I pee? Am I incensed? And, you know, like, and then you can get into a conversation with the anger that you're feeling. Right. And then what have I felt this before? So it is, again, it's a process in an emotionally stunted and repressive world to become aware is a process of individuation. Right. But it's so much fun that it's a good, it's a good thing to embark on and you get so much back from it. Right. In terms of, your self awareness, your ability to be in relationships, your ability to understand the social world—it's so right. important. And just developing a larger emotional vocabulary, boom, you're done.
1: <laughs> wow! So it begins the process of regulation just mm-hmm. by being able to identify and put words around it. Yeah, That's incredible.
0: This is especially incredible. important for the more kind of energetic emotions like anxiety and panic, as mm. a lot of people go to the. Um, the emergency room with what are called anxiety attacks right And panic attacks and they yeah. they have no consciousness of what is going on it's just i'm having a heart attack and mm. learning words for those emotions can save you a lot of time and money right
1: right You're able to say
0: okay it's anxiety so what am i anxious about or oh it's panic am i in danger that sort of thing right so you become right. very articulate in your emotional life and it helps your whole organism just okay she's got this
1: I'm not dying.
0: Yeah. I'm not having a heart attack. It's okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can already see how I can integrate your work into my practice because as energy psychology and EFT practitioner, we acknowledge the emotions and then we accept them basically, but having the gifts of the emotions in there. So we would say, even though I'm feeling angry, I know it's alerting me to needing to set more boundaries in my life. And I deeply and completely accept myself. So that's really wonderful. And then we talk about In EFT, how our emotions have somatic components. So for a lot of people, when they feel anger, they know what that feels like in their body. Mm-hmm. And that's different from how sadness might feel in their body. So that's just a different level of vocabulary, bringing in the somatic side of emotions that we generally have a physical sensation associated with our emotions. And so I think that also helps begin the process of regulation and recognition. So recognizing what it feels like in your gut, when you're, you know, really carrying around or in your head or wherever that might manifest for all types of different people. We're also unique and different that it'll change person to person. But uh, that's wonderful. I can already see how I'm going to integrate this information into my practice. So we are going to take another break here. You are listening to High Energy Health and we are having a riveting conversation with Carla McLaren, author of The Language of Emotion, What Your Feelings Are Trying to Tell You, which was just released a few days ago. You can find out more about Carla at her website, which is McLaren.com, K-A-R-L-A-M-C-L-A-R-E-N. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. welcome back to the high energy health podcast i'm amanda wonderland and we are having an awesome conversation with carla mclaren and her new and updated book has just been released a few days ago called the language of emotions what your feelings are trying to tell you and Carla has just been sharing with me some of the practices in this book that will help you work with different emotions and also the original publication in 2010 left out anxiety. Don don don. So Carla wrote an entire book just to apologize (laughs) to anxiety, and she included it in this new and updated version. And I have a personal curiosity about anxiety, just because Mm -hmm. I've been working with a lot of clients lately who are working with cravings and addictions. Mm -hmm. And I'm finding that underneath all of this is an anxiety and an, an inability to feel safe in their Mm -hmm. bodies and so they're reaching for things to kind of stop this anxious feeling so what can you tell us about anxiety and maybe how it relates to addiction
0: when i was researching the book on anxiety i was really surprised to find that almost everybody mistakes anxiety and panic right so anxiety Mm -hmm. is the emotion of motivation it helps you get things done so it helps you complete your tasks and it helps you hit your deadlines which means it is forward facing, it's forward leaning, and it is very energetic, right? So it will fill you with lots of energy and then tip you forward so you're sort of on ground, right? Okay. So working with anxiety, you need to have some practices to keep yourself from <laughs> going into the future where you literally cannot go. Your body cannot go to the future. You can plan right. for it, but you have to stay here. That's anxiety's work, and it's about getting things done. The work of panic. It's very different, but the two emotions often work together. Panic is the emotion that comes forward to save your life. And it has the fight, flee, freeze, flock to safety behaviors among them. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when people say anxiety, I feel what I'm saying now is if there's any dread or danger in your anxiety, panic is there trying to help. And the work is to, I don't mean to separate them like they're bad kids, but to move them apart you know i'm gonna pull this car over and one of you gonna walk home <laughs> not like that but it's to be able to say am i in literal physical danger right now because that would be panic's job right. if not then anxiety would look toward the future and say am i in literal physical danger in the future well you know, in this time of rampant end-stage capitalism, if you don't get your work done, you may lose your job. And in the future, that is not safe, right? It's not safe. So panic and anxiety do have a place in rampant end stage capitalism. They do have a place together. But what I notice about, I mean, we haven't ha- have a term for it, panxiety with pan- panic and anxiety working together, right? <laughs> panxiety. What I notice about panxiety is panic is also a very powerful and extremely energetic emotion, right? Because yeah. it it's the emotion that can have a five foot two inch mom lift a truck off a baby, right? Yes. It's yeah. that powerful. You don't write panics, the, you know, the big, the big bear emotion. So it's hard to walk around with that kind of energy in your body at all times, right? Yes. And you don't even know which emotions they are. So yes. going to eating or drinking or any other kind of behavior is understandable because mm-hmm. that emotional level of, you know, activation is very uncomfortable. And so yeah. to work with those two emotions, May take a while because if your immediate thing is to displace away from the emotion and go do something else to try to right. calm it down, that's going to be a, a habit that needs to be broken. One of the problems with a habit like that is if anxiety is looking toward the future and panic is there to help you because there's danger, and you drink or eat or watch Netflix or whatever. You've done literally nothing to address the anxiety and the panic. You've gone so far away from where they need you to be, from the help they need you to give them. So now you come back off of your whatever, whatever high you've been on, and these emotions are going to be stronger because you never addressed them, right? So that is, you know, what we're understanding is what starts addictions is that you are applying a fix that can never work and will never stop the emotions from doing what they need to do, right? So that panic, you need to ask your panic, am I in literal physical danger? You don't need a drink at this moment, right? This is not (laughs) that kind of an evening, right? (laughs) (laughs) You need to figure out what is what your panic is responding to. And then you can, you know, stop with that kind of, what would you call it an autonomic behavior or an automatic behavior? Yes problems arise go to the displacement problems arise go to but one of the things I think is really important to understand is emotions don't cause the problems they come to help you deal with the problems and if you don't listen to them the problems will only get worse right the very emotions that you needed to help you with them are being ignored so yeah it's very understandable why people would do that those are two powerhouse emotions Right. right They're like, Literally. don't want to fool around with those two emotions,
1: right? Yes, <laughs> yes. It's a lot,
0: it's a
1: lot, yeah. yeah. So you just engage them in conversation. It sounds like you speak to the panic and say, am I really in a life-threatening situation right now? And if not... I need you to take a chill pill. Like, what what do you say to your panic?
0: Yeah, well, it's like to treat it panic. Am I in a life endangering situation right now? And you look around, no. And your panic says, but you might be in the future if you don't hit that deadline. You're like, okay, panic, thank you. Now I'm going to go hit the deadline with the help of my anxiety. But if you don't listen to them, they just get louder and louder and louder and louder. And so it's almost like you have to kind of walk it back. There's going to be layers of these emotions that you didn't listen to. (laughs) And mm-hmm. then you finally get mm-hmm. to it. And then you become friends with your emotions so that you can go, right. oh, is that panic? You know, and you can understand it at this very subtle level. Yes. You're feeling a little tiny sense of dread. What's going on instead of waiting until it's at panic 9,000 before. Right. You listen to it. Yeah. And that's why yeah. that emotional vocabulary is so important. If you've got an emotion that regularly goes to 9,000 on a mm. scale of one to 10, <laughs> <laughs> it's really important to learn the words for it at its softest place at its right. softest level of presentation so that you can catch it before it goes to a place where you have no skills right right
1: yeah that and all I'm not makes not saying so that sense.
0: you need to have all your emotions be soft mm. but You do need to know how to work with them at all levels. And if you've got one that's very out of true, you know, with what's going on, it's important to start soft.
1: Yeah. 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 It's good to have that vocabulary too, so that you can start to notice when it comes on and also somatically know what anxiety Mm -hmm. feels like in your body. So when you get those first stirrings, you're like, okay, anxiety, what is it that I need to accomplish in order to state this feeling in my body? Is that correct? Am I getting? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. to do with this yeah. energy. Yeah. So, really befriending, normalizing, accepting, and having conversations with our emotions, it sounds like. And we'll continue this conversation after a short break. You are listening to High Energy Health Podcast. I'm Amanda Wonderland, and we are in conversation with Carla McLaren, author of the book, The Language of Emotions What Your Feelings Are Trying to Tell You. You can find more of Carla's work at her website, which is carlamcclaren.com. K-A-R-L-A-M-C-L-A-R-E-N. Stay tuned for our final segment of today's episode. Welcome back to our final segment of today's episode on the High Energy Health Podcast. I'm Amanda Wonderland, and we are speaking with Carla McLaren about her new and updated book, The Language of Emotions, What Your Feelings Are Trying to Tell You, which was just released a few days ago. And Carla, I'm so curious about your opinion about these emotional guidance scales that you can find online that put joy and peace and enlightenment at the very top and may not even the emotions, peace and enlightenment, um, and then and then shame and anger at the bottom. And kind of what you think about making these emotions into a hierarchy, demonizing some and glorifying some, what's your opinion about all of that?
0: Words, demonizing, glorifying. <laughs> Whenever there's a hierarchy, I know there's trouble and there's social control trying to happen. One of the things about the idea that there are negative or positive or better or worse emotions is look at the emotions that they are putting in the shadow. Look at the emotions that they are shunning and exiling. Those are probably the emotions that give people a sense of agency and function. Look at the emotions they are idealizing and idolizing. Those are the emotions that help people become more pliable and more controllable. So with social control happening, so when you see those charts go like, which emotion are they not allowing? Oh, they are not allowing anger, which means there's no boundaries allowed here. Okay right? They're not allowing fear, which means instincts and intuition are not allowed here. It's only joy. And joy is a very, very massive, open, radiant, blissful emotion that helps you drop your boundaries. One of the ways I'm a cult researcher too, which is, it's a thing. But one of the ways that cults get (laughs) people in is by pushing them into a joyful state so that people are ripe for the picking. So there's a lot of joy going on, a lot of happy, happy, joy, joy. Just be like, okay, this is not a safe place. So there's some shenanigans going on here.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Fascinating. I never thought of it that way, but it makes so much sense. Well, like in the workplace, they
0: want everyone to be happy. And happiness means you're okay with everything that's going on. If that's true, that's great. But you can't force happiness on people, right? Right yeah yeah
1: and so how many emotions do you cover in your book i know they're separated into families like the four main ones and then how many underneath that We will
0: have 17 total and the four families are the anger family the sadness family the fear family and the happiness family and okay these aren't like leading emotions but these are kind of the emotions that that talk about what that family does what that group of emotion does
1: Okay. Yeah. Right.
0: um, Yeah. And we were talking during the break that the positive emotions, which I, one of the first things I say is there's no negative emotions. There's no positive emotions. Emotions have to be appropriate to the situation, right? Like happiness at a funeral would be a negative emotion
1: <laughs> right it's not
0: what you're that's, that emotions is out of place i mean we laugh at funerals and stuff like that but entirely right. happiness at a funeral what are you even doing what yeah what's going on there so but with, of 17 emotions three are only three of them are considered positive which means that we are welcomed to feel only 17.5% of our emotion. Oh, wow. If you remember being graded at school, 50% is an F. So we would have right. to work really hard to get an F out of emotions. We'd have to like
1: yes.
0: really work hard. So 82.5% right. of emotions are the ones we're supposed to avoid that are not right. okay, that are not welcome. And so it's no wonder that we mm. grow up going emotions, what, what even is that?
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. And you're cutting yourself off from the benefits, the wisdom, the genius, the gifts of all of the emotions, and you're not living a whole life. You're living a very stunted, stilted version of what society has taught us is acceptable. And now I know why (laughs) That makes so much sense. This is how the power uh, differential is maintained by, um, yeah, exiling these yes. really, really powerful beautiful emotions that can teach us so much about where we are and where we need to be in order to stay in authentic alignment with ourselves and yeah. the expectations and agreements that we've made for our lives. Like I love that's such an enlightening way to look at shame. This is an indication that you need to look at the agreements that you've made about yeah. yourself and how you're allowed to show up in life. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And you talk about having too much happiness too, having an Mm -hmm. unbalanced, positive outlook. And what can that result in?
0: Happiness is a beautiful emotion that we really need, but it has a very specific job, which is to say, yay, this is delightful and it's wonderful. And yes, Mm -hmm. if you lean toward happiness too hard, there's something that psychologists call a toxic positivity bias.
1: Yes. Yes, please. <laughs> please talk about this.
0: <laughs> so if you have a lot of happiness when you're agreeing to things, you're like, yeah, I can do that project and that one too. And that kind of that project person, I'll take them into. And then I'll do this. So you have just like no no sense, right? Happiness right. is the Dao De Ching calls happiness the most dangerous emotion. Because of how we relate to it, because of how we behave. When happiness and joy are around, we're like, these are the best things ever. You never want to feel anything else. And then you lose yourself. You're gone to yourself, right? Yeah, And I think we've all been in places where everyone's like, oh, put on a happy face. Smile, and the world smiles with you. There's no sadness allowed. There's no envy or jealousy allowed. There's no anger allowed, right? So the wholeness gets trashed, and everyone puts on the happy right. face. Yeah, a lot of families say that's all we have is happiness in our family. That's all you can have. Yeah, right. You can't
1: complain ever. Absolutely. That's definitely what happened with my lower back pain and all that grief (laughs) that was down there. You know, I lost my brother when I was 13 and he was 17. And I was in a fundamentalist church. And every time I expressed sadness at his loss, it was like, are you questioning God's will? Smile, (laughs) Jesus loves you. And so it was just... (laughs) Repressed, 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 and same when my mother died. Repressed, oh, repressed, repressed. So when I finally got to let grief out of my lower back, it was excruciating to actually finally feel it for the first time, but also the most liberating thing in the world to not be stuck behind this, you know, pasted-on smile when the world isn't like that all the time. That's that. That's not a whole way of being. Of just. Sticking with toxic positivity, and we see this all the time yeah. with EFT because we acknowledge the negative in order to counter-condition it. And I put negative in air quotes; it's the truth <laughs> of the moment, you know. However, yeah. we're feeling in that moment, it's not negative or positive, but we acknowledge that and we make our bodies feel safe and regulate in yeah. that time. So I just I love that there's no such thing as a negative emotion, and mm-hmm. and I know that people are going learn so many valuable lessons by her book, by the new and updated <laughs> version, the, the language of emotions, what your feelings are trying to tell you and get on the bandwagon toward emotional responsibility and regulation and resilience. And even if you're in your 50s or 60s, it's not too late. We it's can teach ourselves.
0: Your emotions have been waiting to talk to you. They're yes. like, oh, thank God she's here. <laughs> yes,
1: absolutely. And I've been taking a look at Carla's website, com. It's K-A-R-L-A-M-C-L-A-R-E-N. She's got all kinds of resources on there. Tons of beautiful freebies, a vocabulary list for your emotions, some charts and, and info on all of your emotions. And you can also check out empathyacademy.org and she's got wonderful resources there. So, yeah, it's not too late. It's time to befriend, normalize, and learn the gifts and the genius, the wisdom behind your emotions. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you today, Carla, so much. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you. And you guys, thank you so much for tuning into the high energy health podcast. Make sure that you stay tuned regularly every week and do your very best to stay actively engaged in being inspired. I'm Amanda Wonderland. Thanks so much for joining us and have a great week.